The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it. As it is written, fear not, uh, fear not, daughters of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these, uh, these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him uh, because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we want to focus our attention and our gaze upon you. There's just, there's so much in the world trying to distract us and to pull us away and to look on ourselves and our own internal issues and, and the external issues of everything going on around us. And um, uh, it, we are easily convinced that by thinking about all these things, we're like helping or something. But we need to focus our attention and our gaze on you, Lord. You're the answer. And so we want to we take this time and we want to like soak it in. You know, what just the greatest love that was ever shown on display. And, and the world is ready to hear it to some extent. And we know, like, there's that part in all of our hearts. So, God, we pray that you would, um, you know, awaken our hearts to be, like, uh, again, um, just energized by the good news of the gospel. And that we, it would have such an effect that we would want it to bring it to everyone around us, Lord. So help us to, to come back to our first love if it's faded or, or just to be just so stoked on, on what you did and what we get to celebrate this next coming week. So God, we pray you give us eyes to see. We pray you give us ears to hear that you'd, um, you know, you give us your spirit, you know, to be able to understand what you're trying to show us, teach us, and we, and we pray we'd have open hands and open hearts to receive. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys may be seated. So verse 12 says, The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So the next day, um, this was dealing with something that had happened right before this, and then we're going to see uh, kind of the continuation of it at the end. A bunch of many Jews had started to believe and follow Jesus after hearing of Lazarus rising from the dead and then going to see him. So what was the response? The chief priest plotted to kill Lazarus, right? So they were trying to rid uh, themselves of the problem of someone who was raised from the dead. Um, what's interesting about that, it's like a good picture of the intoxication of power um, that we, we miss. They're, they're not interested in the miracle that happened. They're just focused on consolidating their power by killing off anything that would come, uh, that would endanger it, right? So that, a miracle's been done with Lazarus. They want to kill him. Instead of saying, like, did he really rise from the dead? Wait, who are we dealing with? They're like, he's bad for business. Let's get rid of him. 
So that's kind of where it's, that's, that's the part coming in off of that. Uh, and Jesus is coming uh, to Jerusalem. He'd been all over the place in the outskirts of town. But the idea of coming to Jerusalem was Jesus coming to the center of the Jewish world. And so those who were looking for him to be king, they were looking for the Messiah to do Messiah things. This is perfect. He's coming right and marching right into Washington, D.C. He's marching right into Jerusalem to, to start his reign. And they're, so they're really excited about that. He was coming to the center of their world to establish his kingdom. And boy, were they ready for it, right? They'd been under strict Roman rule. They'd been taxed so unfairly, you know, and they'd been going through. They're just looking for some sort of ah, relief, Finally, he's come. He's going to overthrow. So what they do? Verse 13, they took branches off palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's a reference to Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. Save now, which is the idea. That's Hosanna. Lord, save now. That's, that's what it means. When we sing Hosanna, it's like save now. You feel the desperation, right? I think apathy is just such a, Oh, man, it's so bad on the church. You know, like, just like being, I, that's largely what's gotten us to this place where we're at in our world, or especially in our country. It's, it's apathy. We've been just lazy. We've kind of just been cruising. We've kind of had it easy, you know? And, and you know, that's, that's no good, you know? It's, there's, we need to have that, like, passion. Like, so save now, I pray, O oh Lord. O oh Lord, I pray you send now prosperity, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. So it's kind of a quote uh, referencing that from Psalm uh, 118. So save now. The branches uh, represent the procession of a king. Um, the branches also are tied in with like the Feast of Tabernacles. You can read about that in Leviticus. They would take branches off of trees and use them. Uh, but it was, it was like the procession of a king. And um, it would very much uh, look like something that they'd seen roughly 150 years before this with uh, Judas Maccabeus, right? Uh, where he had come in and, and uh, led the Maccabean, uh, Maccabean revolt uh, against the Seleucid Empire and, and had become like this hero, right? And Hanukkah is, is tied to that, uh, bringing the worship back into the second temple. So they were looking for that kind of a king, something like that. And so the idea is like, he's here, he's come. And it was, in a lot of ways, it was about their nation and it was about them and them being freed. And they had no idea what Jesus was really doing, right? But there's hints that it's, it's not exactly what they thought it was going to be. Um, verse 14, then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it. As it is written, um, the, the synoptic gospels give us like backstory on the donkey. Um, like he says, hey, go over here and ask him for the donkey. And if they ask you any questions, just tell them the Lord needs it, right? which is wild. You know, how often do you do that? You know, hey, hi, I know this is your property, but the Lord needs it. And you're like, really? Uh, okay. So if somebody needs your car. The Lord needs your car, bro. Let's take a quick stop over at the hospital to see what's going on, you know? Like, I don't know. Uh, but Jesus had, had sent them ahead, and he says, go, I've, I've made provisions, just go, it'll be ready for you. Of course, it takes faith to go and walk in that. But what I love about this part of the story, 
is that God is showing, or Jesus is showing, nothing is out of control. Because the next you know, couple days, it's going to seem like everything is spiraling out of control. But he's, he's like reminding them, I have it all covered. All of this is my plan. I, and he's going to tell them, even after this section, like, guys, I'm, I'm going to be like killed. You know? And, and he's going he's gonna to warn them. They don't want to believe it, of course. Who would? Right? They're like in denial. And they're like, that can't be the way this goes down. I, there's got to be another way. But I love the provision that he makes uh, in, in going before me. He's in control. He's prepared. He's in charge. Things are going to get crazy. But remember, I'm still in control. I, I, this is all according to my plan. Verse 15. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Uh, again, uh, this is a, a, a quote, direct quote from Zechariah, or, you know, partially. Zechariah 9.9. 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So we have uh, Jesus saying, go get me a colt, go get me a donkey, bring me in a donkey, and, and I will be fulfilling the prophetic uh, words of Zechariah from many, many years beforehand. Okay, so he's saying, don't worry, this, this, this is all going according to plan. It was talked about before I was even here, and it's, it's fulfilling. It's all coming together. Salvation is drawing nigh. So the idea of a donkey, a lot of times we'll see a donkey, and you're like, that's such a bummer way of like, transport. You know, you do better than that. Because donkeys are kind of like, you think of Eeyore, right? Tails pinned to his... It's just so, there's like a bad kind of view of that. The idea of a donkey was actually not, uh, it would not be an anti-king thing. It was actually, was a royal thing. But a donkey was a symbol of peace, right? It was like the, the animal that you'd bring in in peace. So if you were coming in to take over a, uh, by force, you'd be coming in on a giant war horse. There's something about horses that are just like aggressive, Right? Did you see them when you go to Colorado? I, I mean, I'm going to be real honest about something. I do not like riding horses. Like, I have no, they just, we don't get along. Ever since I was like a kid, a kid it's, we were, our neighbors were like pro rodeo ropers. Yeah, wild, right? And, uh, and they're like, hey, come ride our horse. And it's like, okay. And I'm like a little kid. And they're like, pop you on. And you're like, oh, this is fun. And they're like, okay, now your turn. You know, just kind of cruise around. Someone opens the gate and the horse is like, it's time to eat. So the horse just books. And I'm like, ah! And my parents are like, he's dead. He's gone. Just like, you know, I don't know what's going to happen next, you know? And, and I just am like, Ugh! And I got off and I'm like, I'm done with horses. I'm over it, you know? Then I, we went to Colorado and as a youth pastor, and we brought all, all of our Orange County kids up to Colorado, and there's these horses there, and, and they're like, all right, let's go on a ride, and I'm like, I ain't going to be a punk, I'm going to go get on a horse, and um, turns out my buddy Rick, whose camp it was, gave me the most spirited horse, and definitely the biggest too, and I get on the thing, and somebody else's horse freaks out, my horse freaks out, and go, does the full-on, like you could have had a you know, a silhouette of it 
straight up, and I'm looking down at the horse. I'm up in the air, holding on for dear life, and I'm looking straight down on it, and it was bucking me, trying to get me off of it, and I finally settled it down. Everybody got settled down, hopped right off the horse and said, I will take a quad. I am not getting on this animal again, and that might be the last time ever, personally. There's something with me and horses. But there's something about being next to horses that you like look at them, and you're like, dude, you are awesome. Their legs are just massive. There's like veins popping out everywhere. You're like, you're like a bodybuilder. This thing's just huge. Like, what could you do if you kicked me? You know, like I would be so, kind of want to find out. No, you don't. Okay. But they're just, they're just, ah. So the idea is like a war horse would be these massive horses armed for battle. And that's a lot of times what you would have when a, a king is not yet king or someone is coming in to take over the reign. They are coming in on a war horse. Jesus is coming in on an animal of peace. And, and his establishing of his kingdom, it's going to start looking super wacky. Like none of this is going to make any sense really quickly. Because they were all hoping that Jesus was going to like lay the hammer. Like he was going to come in and, and destroy and, and, and rip apart and make things right. This is what we want for justice. I'm going to make things right. He's establishing his, his kingdom is upside down. It's going to be totally opposite. And, and in fact, the, the thing that was most looked down upon, the most shameful, the worst, you know, cursed is he who hangs on a tree. Jesus is going to die on perhaps the most evil contraption made by man, the cross. I mean, to really understand the cross is, is to understand the mechanics of it and the evil intent that went into man using his creativity for pure evil. It's satanic. It's, it's absolutely horrendous, right? You guys know how it goes. You got the nails put in through your, through your feet and in through your hands or your wrists, depending. People have different ideas on that. And it's not that you die from that, although you probably wish you did. If somebody hits your pressure point, you're like, ah! You, put a, you touch me with your thumb. It's like a stake going through, Right? And the way you die, though, is by suffocation because you can't pick yourself up enough to breathe. So you have to, you'd have to push off on that every single time to get up enough to breathe and then drop. And if you're taking too long, what do they do? They break your legs. Now you can't do that anymore. I mean, it's just absolutely brutal. And it was the way that they would signify no one is going to take over or even think about taking over the Roman Empire. We, we are showing, it's like putting the, you know, kill the squirrel and put it out in front for all the other squirrels to see. Do not touch my garden, you know. Maybe you do that. Maybe not. I don't know. That might be an old thing. Maybe we shouldn't. Um, but it was like for the whole world to see. Like, look, this, you do not mess with us. We will crush you. And Jesus is like, it is in me being crushed that it opens up the whole gates of the kingdom. So he's establishing his kingdom on earth, and it's going to be completely different. A couple weeks ago, we did a message on the Sermon on the Mount. Do you guys remember that? And the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus establishing his kingdom, and it makes no sense to those who are thinking in the flesh. It's just, it's completely opposite, right? And this is, this is all of that being, being brought into fruition. Here comes the kingdom. 
The victory will be won in the most humiliating death tool. The first will be last, right? The servant, uh, servant will be the greatest. They're the ones that will be honored. These are kingdom principles, right? Someone asks you to go a mile, go two. Give, if, someone, if someone's trying to take from you, just give it to them, you know? Like, it, it's like a complete shift of mindset. And Jesus is, is winning when they think they're beating him. It's like the ultimate judo move. You know, like, you just think you got him. I have a friend who's a black belt in jujitsu, and he's, he's super good at it. And he's like, I really want to train you because, you know, I think I could do something with you or whatever. And I thought, you know, okay, cool. But in my mind, I'm thinking, I know I'm stronger than you. So I know you know jujitsu, but I'm stronger than you. And I think I can do, be- do well against you. Um, that was not the case. Because every move I would make against him, he would use against me. And it's like the harder you try, and he'd say, you're going to have to learn to not use what you think is your strength. You think it's just you can out, out, man, you weigh, outweigh me by 50 pounds. You think that's the way it's going to work. That is not how this works. Your strength can become a strength again when it's ordered, right? But when you're using your strength out of place, it will be used against you. I'd say such is the kingdom, right? So Jesus is, is changing everything. And I don't think anyone who was there saying, Hosanna, 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 had any clue. They're like, oh, yes, he's coming in. He's going to die on the cross, and then he's going to be risen again. Not because it's not there in the scripture. They just could not see it. They were blinded by their circumstances. And that's where we get. We get blinded by our circumstances. There's so much stuff going around us that it's all too close, and we can't see the forest for the trees. So if we can look back, and of course we're looking, we're in 2020 mode, you know, where you can go back and look, not 2020 the year, gosh, no. 2020 vision, hindsight is 2020. You can see, oh man, that's, that was so perfect how that all went together. And we'll see, they have that hindsight real soon after. But when you're in the middle of it and you have desperate needs, you're quick to make bad deals. You know? To justify or to think, ah, we should do that, I could do that, ah. Jesus is establishing his kingdom and he's doing it in peace. And no one is going to like that. Nobody's going to like it. They want it to be done the way they want it to be done. And it's going to look like he loses and he's winning. Verse 16 tells us, right? His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. This is constantly where we're at. You know, it's so easy to miss what he's doing. And it's usually in circumstances. Like I, how many of you guys, you can even show of hands. How about that? Be real brave today, you know. How many of you have had situations in your life where you're like, there is no way out. I have thought about it in every single way. There is no way out of this. And then God like blew your mind with a way out that you could not have ever imagined. Who, who in here? Yes, it's like everyone. Way to go. I love that. You know, way to go, God, because you did that, right? 
But we, we get to that place where it's like, there is no way out. I was just, I was just talking with my friend the other day, and, and I was just trying to share because, you know, there's stuff, real stuff goes on, right? And, and it's, it's, you don't want to belittle it, and you don't want to say, oh, that's no big deal. God's got it. But at the same time, you're like, God's got it. <laughs> He's, he's going to take you through this. He's going to lead you through this. And right now, you cannot see a way out. It's too close. And that's why, that's why being in fellowship is really important. That's why being around other believers is really important. Because sometimes you can't see out, but they can. Right? So, sometimes people could speak wisdom into your life that you can't see right now. You, norm, you could see it if it was in their life. You can't see it in yours. It's too close. It's too painful. It's too pressing. Like it's, it's, it's way too easy to, you know, to do a shortcut. Right? Hindsight's twenty twenty. of course. We make fools of ourselves when we try to make sense of every little thing. How do we know this? Because there's so many outdated prophecy books. Right? <laughs> we think we know. We don't know. Right? Like, and, and I doesn't mean we shouldn't care. We should care. It's a good thing. It can prepare you. It, 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 it absolutely matters. But when you're trying to make every little thing work and manipulate and all this and that, you're missing the point. And, and if we can look back at church history and we can look back at even the disciples here, they had no clue what was going on around them. Why? Because they had something else in their mind that needed to happen and they were missing the big picture of what God was doing. You know, we see this same thing, right? When Jesus and his disciples, they go out and they, he sends them out and they have an awesome time. They're healing people and they're seeing all kinds of cool stuff happen. And, and, and they just come back and they're so amped. Jesus, it, it was amazing, man. All this good ministry. And Jesus is like, so sick, guys. I love it. Let's get some rest. We need some rest. We've been going too hard. Law of limits. Too much. Too long. Let's just go, go take a break. And all of a sudden, all these people show up, and Jesus has moved compassion, with compassion for them. Sheep without a shepherd. And what happens? It's the 5,000. And he starts preaching to them. What ends up happening? Uh, you know, he's speaking and preaching, and, and then uh, all this, his disciples, we see, we can hear their little snotty attitudes, right? Um, Jesus, there is no way these people can eat. They're, we don't have any food. Jesus like, give them some food. We don't have enough food for 5,000 people. Don't you know there's a shortage? You should know that we're in a pandemic. You know, like, there's no way we could come up with that. And Jesus is like, well, what do you have? And they're like, well, we've got this, you know. And he's like, we'll just start breaking it up, give thanks, and break it up. And, of course, they, we know. Baskets left over, right? What's so interesting, though, is... They, they go on, they move on, they keep going, and, and they go across. And Jesus is like, okay, let's go get our rest now. Go off to the other side. They get in the boat. All of a sudden, Jesus, like, meets them walking on the water, and they're freaking out. You know, what's going on? And then they're like, they're like what, what was that, you know? And all of a sudden, it says they, that it's like their eyes were opened, and they, they, finally understood what had just happened behind them, the, the feeding of the 5,000. Because their hearts were hard, they couldn't see what was going on around them. Right? So they, they were so stuck on what they thought they deserved, their victimization. Oh, I, it should be like this. It shouldn't be like that. Oh, he said we get rest. Now we got no rest. Ah, oh, we do this. 
missing out on one of the greatest miracles ever told. God providing for 5,000 people out of a couple loaves and a couple fish. So it's easy for us to miss things when we're focused on every little thing around us. And if we're wise, this is, what, this is, this is the take we take. Well, we just got to be better at discerning every little thing we, we read in the Bible, right? Every single little thing we got to intricately divide it out and make it perfect. You know what? The, the best thing, history tells us, the best thing, church history tells us, and history, that those who simply obey and are doers of the word reap the rewards of faith. Obedience is not, um, it does not have to be based on understanding everything. And when we get to the place where we obey and say, God, none of this makes sense around me, but you said to do this, and that is what I will do. Not like, a, oh, well, there's a tricky little thing here that actually means you don't have to do that because you can do this other thing instead uh, because, well, the Bible was written for that time, but we have a whole different time now. You know, so we've got to like adapt and come up with a new strategy. And, and you know, it might say that, but it probably means more like this. And then, of course, you can find someone online that will agree with you. There's always someone that will agree with you. You can find anything you want to find. You can just Google that. Like, think of the craziest thing and then go look online and you will find it. Somebody has made a YouTube video about it. And it has like seven views. Now it's got eight. And if you share it with your friends, it's going up. And that person's like, I'm going to be a millionaire soon. I guess I'm an influencer. <laughs> History tells us, though, that those who simply obey, those who are doers of the word, not just hearers, are those what? That build their house on the rock, not on the sand. And they reap the rewards of faith. God will show up. Right? Stay faithful to what you know. Don't stress about what you don't. And, and, and this is a real challenge in our day and age and in our cultural context we're living in. Because there's so much we can grab onto. There's so much we could feel like, there's, but do you know about all these things? Does God know about that? Does, does he care about that? Where, how much do I do about this? Just stay faithful to what he is clearly said to do you know and it doesn't mean we don't engage it means we engage in faith we don't choose the way of the flesh we don't choose the foundation of the sand that's going to end up ruining half of our house later on anyway we continue to build in faith right and that's why we we can look back at the heroes of the faith the heroes of the faith had so many blow it situations in their life but what defines them as heroes of the faith? Like, think about Abraham. He, made, he definitely made mistakes. But he trusted God. He did believe him. Even when it didn't make any sense, he's like, I don't know how I'm going to have a kid, but you said I'm going to, so okay. And then it took a lot longer than he expected. That's how it always works, by the way. I mean, how many times do you think God was early on this? We never think that. Well, he were, you were early on this one. Yeah, I was not expecting it to come like that. I mean, wow. It's like usually like, it's always on time, but it almost always feels late. Like, God, uh, I'm at the end of my rope. I can't go any further. 
you've missed it. It's too late. And he's like, no, I haven't. Actually, it'll be a little later than that. And in the, in the meantime, he's teaching us to trust him, not just, you know, because we put in a coin and we got out our, like, present, you know. You trust him even when it doesn't make sense. That's the idea. Abrahamic righteousness is to believe him even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it's like, what? There's no way I can have a kid. That doesn't make any sense. Noah, what did he do? He built a boat. How big? A massive boat, like multiple football fields. It's like, are you kidding me? People are mocking him, and we go, oh, you know, those people, they're mockers. You're like, bro, if someone started building a boat, you know the news stories, and they would not be kind news stories, right, about this person doing this. Because you go, what are you doing? He's like, God told me to do this. And we know, of course, Noah blew it later on, right? You know, David, think about David and him slaying Goliath. Does that make any sense at all? No, it's just believed. God's got me. He knows he's not going to, somebody's got to stand up in this position. And there's so many, Daniel in the lion's den. Even if I die, it's like, whatever. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm not going to become a slave to fear. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We may burn, but we're not going to bow. Of course, they didn't do either. Every time you look back on some of the heroes of the faith, it's never the people who say, and he had this figured out, so he was a very wise person. It's like, no, they just trusted God. That, that is the recipe. Just believe him. Hindsight, we're going to look back and go, that was a good decision. So it's like the more we can get our brains out of it as far as uh, having to have every little thing dealt with. God does not work like that. He doesn't need to. We do. We got to have every little detail figured out, but he doesn't need to. So if he says, be faithful, trust that he will reward that in this life or in the one to come. Stay faithful to what you know. Don't stress about what you don't. Just, you know, that's the point. Because his disciples did not understand these things at first. They didn't get it. Their, Their eyes were on something else. They missed it. And this is a real threat to us in the church, in America. It is so easy to miss it. It is so easy to miss the clear principles of the kingdom. What did you come to do, Jesus? The picket fence, right? You know, the 2.3 children, right? The, all that, that's, that's what you came to do, I think, right? It's like, I didn't promise all that. This is what I came to do. I came to change the world and to to make you all kingdom ambassadors. Now you are co-laborers. You are part of what I'm doing. You are my ambassadors. You are like priests to the world. Everywhere you go is affected by this new kingdom. So anytime Satan can get you sucked into fighting the evil kingdom with evil tactics, he wins. If we can fall into the same way the world wars and we think we're doing it for a righteous cause, we lose. But if we can remain faithful, we're not going to have stuff we're going to look back and go, man, here's another one. Let's do another question. Hands up. How many of you have been faithful to God in something and like he told you to do something very clearly and you did it and you're like, "Um, that was worthless. Was there anybody in here? You're like, no one's going to raise your hand a couple times. You might think that right now. But over time, way less hands, 
first of all, and, and, and it, will, it will continue to show none of that's wasted. God will redeem every part of it. When you are faithful to what he has called you to do, he is faithful to redeem. It's very clear in children, right? We're making that youth promo, and it's like, train up the child in the way you should go. You're like, yeah, I've done that, and they're not going the right direction, right? <laughs> and there's part of that where uh, a lot of times it's way down the road, and we don't really understand all the intricacies of it. But there's God is faithful, and we trust him at his word, so we continue to do the things he says to do, to not go, oh, well, this one might not have worked. Oh, this one might not have been, you know, the legit one. He meant that for everyone but for me. So we continue to trust him and see him do what he's going to do through it all, believing in him. Um, when Jesus was glorified, they remember these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him, right? God is going to show up. He will, in the end, you will see, you, are, you will not be bummed that you are faithful. I should ask that question. Were you ever bummed that you were faithful to God? No. You know, when you look back and you're like, I'm so bummed I punked out and did that my own way. I'm so bummed I did that on my, ugh, what was I thinking? I know he's good. He's been nothing but faithful to me. And whether I see the answer now or not, I don't ever want to be remembered. Yeah, I just kind of did my own thing on that one. You never think that's a good idea later on. Ah, that, that worked out. I just did it my own way. Verse 17, therefore the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, uh, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you're accomplishing nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. You know, this, this only excited the people more, seeing the, the triumphal entry, right? Uh, and it made it even more difficult to get rid of Lazarus. You know, it's, what's interesting is like persecution and, and struggle, we just will avoid all forms of struggle as much as possible. I have a good friend, and, and he's like the opposite to this rule, and I don't get him. He's like, he's like always chooses the hard way, I feel like. <laughs> like I'm just going to do the, the hardest one, and I'm going to use it as a growth experience. And I'm like, Dude, you're brutal to yourself. Like, why are you doing it? But it's interesting. Like, you see, like, God meets him in that spot. And he, we so often do the opposite, where we just choose the easiest paths possible. God uses seasons of hardship, seasons of, of I don't know what's going on, as, as growth. And so the harder the church gets pressed, you can expect the more church, the church grows. So we say, man, look, the world's getting hostile towards the church. My thought is get ready for revival. Get ready for the real church to stand up. For those who are on the fence to kind of go, no, I'm not really into this anymore. And for those who are dedicated to like honestly honoring and God, they're going to see God move and work in the midst of them. Because it only excited them more. It only got them more excited. So what they say? The more pressure the church is under, uh, the more pressure that was on them, the more... Uh, he'll promote himself on their behalf. They, they were like, let's kill Lazarus. Okay, now we can't kill Lazarus. <laughs> it's kind of like Peter and John, right? They're uneducated, untrained men, but they're speaking with authority. They've been with Jesus. They can see that they've been with Jesus. And they go, we've got to get rid of them. How do we get rid of them? Well, we can't do anything to them because everyone will freak out. They're scared of men. Peter and John are no longer scared of men. 
And so they say, you just have to be quiet. And they're like, no, we will not. You think we're going to listen to you or we're going to listen to God? You tell us. What do you think is the better thing, high priest? What do you think it would be better to listen to you or to God? I know you've got those beautiful robes and, you know, all your garb. Who do you think we should listen to, you or God? So, obviously, what ends up happening? They end up folding because they're the ones that are scared of men. And Peter and John leave. Nothing happens to them. They're threatened, and they walk off, and they're like, we're going to keep doing it. Bye. And they're like, ah, shoot. Can't do anything about them. You can't do anything with someone like that. I think that's what God wants the church to be like, where we can believe him and trust him, and then we're not manipulated by people because we're not scared of people. But we get scared of people when we realize or when we don't have the faith we are supposed to have, when we don't have like the real belief that God is with us or that he's good. And so it leads us to do crazy things because of fear. And there's so much has happened. So many people have changed their life dramatically. And it's, whether they want to admit it or not, it's based on fear. And you're like, gosh, I hope that, I hope that you can figure that out. Because it's a scary thing to be in that mode and go down that road. And you're like, ah. The whole idea is you start running, you don't stop running. Right? Eventually you have to stand up and go, man, this is not who I am or where I belong. So uh, just like the church, uh, when, when the more it gets pressed, the more you see um, God shining through, humble yourself, right? It's like we, the church, we need to humble ourselves and not promote ourselves. We need to be promoting Jesus. That's part of the idea. It's not like here's your you know, five step to becoming most successful human you could ever be. I mean, I can't teach you that because I'm, believe it or not, one of them. I'm not one of them. I'm not the most successful human you've ever met. But it's like a, a dead, bleeding man talking about, like, God. <laughs> That's, like, how faithful he is and, like, how good Jesus is and how amazing his grace is. And that's where we want to be. So we as the church, we humble ourselves and we promote him and we allow him to promote himself on our behalf. It's not about us. It's about him. The church that's all about herself is such a, a bummer church. It's like a bummer wife. I have like the most amazing wife. She's like, she is so selfless. Like everything she does is like selfless. And it's like, man, it'd be really hard if you were selfish. <laughs> and I realize, you know what's interesting? The more you're around selfless people, the more you realize how selfish you are. You also learn that from being around selfish people, but you feel like a victim. And victims are so scary. Victims are the most dangerous people in the world because they feel like everything they do is justified. I'm a victim, so look out. I can do whatever I want. Something bad happened to me, so I can make something bad happen to you, which will make something bad happen to someone else down the road. No, we are not victims, right? We're cleansed. We're made new in Christ. We don't walk down that same path. So we want to be these the the church, the bride of Christ that is loving faithful, trusting in the head that is Christ and everything we do and seeing God exalt, magnify himself in a completely opposite backwards, what we would call backwards to everything else we see around us kingdom with completely different values that will, here's the beautiful part, free us. It's it's amazing how free you are when you can come to that place. 
of going like, man, I don't, it, it doesn't have to go my way. It doesn't have to be all about me, right? And we get, we get parts of that, like better to give than to receive. Yes, it's more fun to give your kids a gift than for you even to get a gift. What do you want? I don't even know. I'm good. For your kids, you're like, I know what you want. And I know your mind's about to be blown because I made it seem like you had a bad gift and I got you a good one, you know? I love doing that kind of stuff. It's like evil probably, right? There's your gift. I guess that was it for Christmas. Except for if we go to the garage, you know, one of those things. Uh, The idea is, is that we grow and become more like him. And so the kingdom transforms. And so we're living out a completely different world. And so we deal with the world differently. We... Uh, occupy the world differently, and the world is changed around us. It was cool. I was talking to one of the coaches and uh, on Ken's team, and and he was. It was wild. Uh, I, I was saying how like at one time I had like kind of got had an issue with another coach because he was being like wild and and yelled from the, the thing, and I said, "Don't yell at me, please. That's not nice." I said it a little differently. Um, and, uh, and I said, yeah, it kind of really bummed me out. And I said, we, we were, it was all good afterwards. We kind of, we fixed it. And I, you know, I just said, we don't talk to other adults like that. You know, that sort of a thing. Again, a little different. Um, but he says, I couldn't, I can't imagine you like being riled up. He's like the most calm person I've ever met. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I was like, or not calm. He's like, dude, you're like chill about everything. I'm like, no, I'm not. And I was thinking, Thank you, God, like for at least it looks like that to some extent to the world, right? And it's like a calming presence. He's like, I feel like you're always calming everything else around you. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, you know, just letting stuff go, forgiving. And it's just like, wow, okay. I didn't even feel like that was happening. But God wants to do that in us to be like his like outposts for the kingdom. Like I've put you here to show how good I am and how free you can be right there. And you're like, I feel like I'm blowing it all the time. And he's like, you're not as bad as you think. I'm using you to affect that sphere. Of course, the more obedient you are, the more you, you dive into that, the more you're going to have an influence there. But this is the coming of the kingdom. And this week changes everything, right? This was the culmination from Genesis chapter 3, the fall all the way through all the prophets and just the law and the prophets and just heartache after heartache, exile after exile, pain, sin, death. Ah, This is the solution. Jesus is riding in on a donkey to people who are cheering him and not even know what, knowing what they're cheering to come in and to change everything from the inside out, from the bottom up. And he wants to do the same thing in every one of us. And then he wants to use us to do the same thing in other people's lives. Kingdom living, kingdom principles. The triumphal king entering and changing the world, starting with each one of us. First it's you, then it's them.